listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. Jeff, I, 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 can't, I can't hear you. I can't hear anything. Can you hear anything? What? Did you say something? Is your mic on? Can you hear me? <laughs> it is so noisy in my head. It's so noisy. I can't hear a thing. I would hate to be inside your head. <laughs> That's, my head's a great place to be. <laughs> it's a little noisy in there, though. That's it's a, a lot noisy. Scary. It's scary in there. So today's topic is cutting through the noise. We're going to talk about, first, we're going to talk about all the noise that's in the system. I'm using the phrase, the system, and I'll explain what I mean. And then we're going to talk about sort of what some firms I, I think are doing differently to cut through that noise. So you want me to, you want to start with all the obnoxious data I assembled for, to, to, to explain the noise? You cannot throw that adjective in front of the word data. What obnoxious. Obnoxious? obnoxious. Obnoxious. Okay. Yeah. I forgot what I said already. It's obnoxious just data. data. It's, it's just, just data. data. It's not obnoxious. That's a fair point. It's just data. Data is not objective. Okay. You just said data is not objective. Data is not subjective. I always get objective <laughs> and subjective confused. Hey, you want to take a breath and get on your A game? I came with my A game. All right. Well, let's so, talk about some obnoxious data. Okay. The noise in the system. So why don't I just give some quick context and then I'll share some data. But one of the things I did, and I think I've probably talked about this with you at once, was late summer 2020, I decided to call up all the editorial leaders that I knew at really large tier one firms and just ask them, hey, how's it going? What's going on? And they all gave me the exact same answer. They were like, oh, Jason, we've published more in the last three months than we did in the last three years. And that was the answer I got from every single editorial marketing leader in every major firm on the planet that I know of, know of right? It was one to talk to me. Let's put it that way. So it just sort of became my working hypothesis of what's going on in the world of professional services, marketing, thought leadership, oriented marketing. If you're using thought leadership or you're using content as a lever to grow your firm, you're doing it in the noisiest environment that we've ever seen. So it's getting harder to do that, right? Because it's hard to be a, you know, hard to be a distinct and clear and compelling voice that people are going to follow in a space where there's lots of people yelling at them. So my running joke of there's just so much noise, I can't hear anything, right? I did some homework on this to try to quantify the noise. And I came up with some interesting stuff. I'll just share some quick factoids and then I'll tell you. So I came up with, there were, and this is all the stuff I found online. I'm not going to necessarily source the notes of where the, the sources of this data came from, because that's just a lot of, a lot of data sources. But in 2020 alone, there were 45 billion minutes of, of Zoom webinars hosted. <laughs> there were 20 billion tweets in 2020. I did some kind of extrapolated math and I came up with it. I think Elon paid about 50 cents a tweet for all the tweets in history, something along those lines. Oh my God. That's a good investment or bad. It's up to him, I guess. I wonder what that averages out per user. Yeah, that's a good, great question. Right? So 20 billion tweets in 2020. There were 17 million articles posted on Medium in 2020. So if you put a lot of thought into producing a really you know, smart article that you're really excited about and you, and you published it in 2020 or in any given month, you did it in a, in a single month, you were competing with about 1.5 million voices in that. And there were 262 million hours of YouTube video published in 2020. So I rounded all that up and I came up with a billion hours of new content. So in 2020 alone, there was 1 billion hours of new content added into the world for consumption 
And that rounded out to 1.4 million lifetimes. So <laughs> if you tried to consume it all, it would take you 1.4 million lifetimes. And that was just 2020 alone. Now, of course, that's all content, right? That's not just you know, thought leadership or even content from a professional services firm. It's sort of all content in the system. But it's just you know wanting to kind of point out that there's just a lot of options for people to spend their their time, whether they're looking to be informed and educated on issues that matter in their business or be entertained, whatever they're looking to do, there's just a lot of stuff competing for their attention. So that's the noise. And, and the system, I guess, is this broad kind of vague thing that is the universe of, of, of places you can go to learn and be informed as a client or a prospective client or just a, you know, an aspiring profession. That is just mind boggling when you think about it. I mean, you don't even need that data. Just anecdotally, if you bring up the YouTube app, you know, with your own subscriptions, or you just go to the homepage of YouTube and refresh every minute or two, you see how much new content is coming out. It seems like every minute there's a new podcast on the market. It is noisy. There's no doubt about it. Let me let me contextualize this a little bit, actually. I'm, I'm glad you, you did that because one of the things that we did with our thought leadership research this year is we did some qualitative interviews with clients. So senior executives that consume thought leadership in their day-to-day role of making strategic business decisions. And I'll just kind of give a couple of quick quotes because I know a lot of people don't understand, struggle with data, right? They struggle to understand data and, and to make sense of it. And when I say 1.4 million lifetimes of new information, it's like, well, what is that? I don't even know what that means, right? These were direct quotes. So I'll use them. This was a CMO of a large media company said, I receive an overwhelming amount of thought leadership on a weekly basis. I delve into about 10%, maybe less. Overwhelming was the first phrase. And the second one came from a CIO at an automotive company. And he or she said, inundated is a good word, inundated. So so clients are feeling overwhelmed and inundated were the two phrases that I just grabbed out of that as qualitative. So... You know, my point in having this conversation is just to talk about, well, okay, you've got, as you always say, you got to come back to the client and where, where are they sitting? And, and that's how they're feeling right now. You know, they, they need your expertise. They need your advice. They need your thought leadership. They need your guidance as a firm to help make good business decisions, but they're feeling overwhelmed and inundated. So how do you be the firm that doesn't add to that problem, that helps them advance a decision? And you know why? I think it's important to to ground this on why this matters. Yep. And it matters. And and I I sound like a broken record, a scratch CD, or a <laughs> I don't know what the metaphor is now that everybody listens to Spotify. But I'm repeating myself. That there is no metaphor for that in Spotify, is there? We need to come up with one. Like yeah, yeah. It freezes, but it doesn't repeat itself. It just freezes. So anyway. So there are three drivers of brand preference and therefore choice of firms. Demonstrated results, simpatico, my favorite word, and expertise. You have to communicate expertise. You have to demonstrate that that expertise is applied to produce a desired result. And thought leadership 
is one of the main vehicles for doing that. So you have to, you have to fight through because that's the selection criteria firms use. Yeah, and I and I would argue that thought leadership can actually hit on all three if you if you do it really really well, right? I mean, you know, mm-hmm. one of the, the critical things of having high quality, demonstrating high quality expertise through thought leadership is, of course, demonstrating results. So proof that this actually works. And I would argue the simpatico thing, as much as I hate that word, as you know, do you hate I that word more in, than more than prudence? Uh, that, that's a tough one too. Power punch for me. <laughs> Like I'm in, I'm in pain just hearing those words. I think it comes out in tone of voice a lot. A lot of times, you know, you, you start to get a, a context for people based on on how they talk or how they write, and I think that does come through. And it's you start to feel, oh, I, I could see myself working with this firm because I like the way that they sort of approach the world. So I think that does start that thing of of you know you, you know that, that old saying, people do business with people they like. But I think it does start in, in the thought leadership zone where. Oh, I like these folks. I like the way they write. I like the way they think. Not just, man, they're really smart or whatever. Um, or I like the way they visualize stuff or whatever. Yeah. So that, I'm actually glad you said that because I do think, I think thought leadership, you think of it as expertise, right? But I think it actually can touch all three if you're really good at it. I think it does. That's what I tell clients. It's, it's all three. That's how it manifests. Yeah. And, and I would say it's not just thought leadership. It's intellectual capital that captures all three of those. You know, your solutions and how you deliver those solutions are, are critical components of that as, as well. All right. So we promised listeners we were going to help them cut through the noise. So, you know, I don't want to leave them hanging here. So I came up with five ways to cut through the noise. And, and, and most of these came out of, as you know, I'm not far removed from our, our thought leadership conference. And, and these largely came out of some of the discussions I heard in the room from speakers and, and others on what seems to be working, like how are firms cutting through the noise right now? So, you know, so to start, you know, we, I can, we can go through those or I can walk through those five kind of systematically or to the best of my ability if you're game. Get walking. All right. So, you know, the, the first one I think is fairly obvious and it's easier said than done, right? I mean, we've talked about it so much that I don't think we're going to need to spend a ton of time on it, but it's just building a truly distinct point of view. So it's just having something compelling and different to say, that's meaningful and valuable to your client. And we've done whole episodes on, on how to build a point of view and why you need a point of view. So I don't know that we have to spend a ton of time on that, although we can if you want. But it just became abundantly clear that with this much publishing activity going on, if you're just adding to the noise, you're not doing anything. So, so you, you better come armed with a different and novel take on, on what's going on on a given issue a different view that the client probably hasn't heard or seen before, or maybe just hasn't had it framed to them in that way. That's going to get them to turn their head and look at you and go, wait a minute. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about it that way. Or I didn't see that. Tell me more. Right. So that, that type of thing. So I think that's the, the, the single most important thing, right? If you take away nothing from this, this episode, I think it's like, that's what you want to take away is like always questioning if we're about to publish something or we're about to take a position on something, is that position, compelling and, and unique and different. And if it's not, what can we do about that? So that's probably starting place number one. I think it is the most critical place, as you said. If it's not distinct, you're just adding to the noise. Yeah. You can have the most incredible distribution channel and platforms, but if there's nothing distinct coming out of it, it doesn't pay 
any dividends. And coming up with that distinct point of view is hard. It is hard. You have to work at it. You have to relentlessly pursue, you know, as you do research or you work with clients, what's the new learning here? What's the insight? What's the nugget? And a lot of firms don't take that time. They don't debrief on projects or they don't put on that lens of, I don't know, self-criticism or self-enlightenment or (laughs) whatever words you want to put on it where they're open to some new insight coming out. And I think that's the critical element of it because I think every opportunity of working with a client is an opportunity for a new insight. Well, and to your point is they, they don't ask the next question, the why question. I spent some time yesterday with one of our clients looking at a, a 22-page research report that's coming out of one of their practices. And what he and I both commented on after we went through it, we were like, well, this is a bunch of objective data. As we kind of, I messed up objectivity and subjectivity a few minutes ago. Bunch of data. It's all interesting. I mean, it's all really interesting. I mean, I enjoyed looking through it. I mean, it's fascinating. But what does it mean? You know, and the the the, the authors hadn't taken that extra step to lay the subjective layer on top. Of it. Okay, what? Why does this matter? You, you opened this podcast with that, which was great. Okay, why does this matter? What? Why should anybody listen to thirty minutes on how to cut through the noise? And that's the thing you have to figure out is, okay, what we collected all this data. It's super interesting. Now, why does it matter to, to our client? What's the perspective we're going to layer on top of it that tells them what's important for them to pay attention to and what they should be doing differently going forward, given this information? And that's it just doesn't happen frequently. And I think maybe it's because it's just seen as content. It's like, well, this is good marketing content and it will build brand awareness. That big kind of, you know, uh, <laughs> good enough. That's all we needed. We just need people to know we exist. Okay, good. Yeah. That's, we just need a more. number to put out there that people can tweet around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that happens a lot. So to your point. There are three attributes of a distinct point of view in, in my mind. Three additional, building on what you've already said. The first one you've already alluded to, or maybe you did in our prep, it's the tone with which you say it, how you say it, how you convey it. So many firms avoid a distinct point of view because it's risky. They're not willing to take a stand and confront an elephant in the room or, you know, step out to the edge you know, to mix metaphors, but putting it out there with a distinct tone of voice that engages people and maybe alienates others. That's how you break through the noise, have a unique way of saying it. Because firms could be looking at the exact same facts and figures and reaching the same conclusion, but how you're communicating that conclusion, I think is a key component of it. Probably related to that is communicating that point of view in a creative and distinct way. So looking for not just the storyline, but even the format of how you you share it, I think could be critical to that. And then the third one, I believe this is really, really important in terms of breaking through the noise, is the timing. You have to be timely with that point of view. First to market is advantageous, 
But saying it at a time when the zeitgeist is ready to hear it is probably even more important. I am shocked you started with tone. <laughs> Why? Because, <laughs> you know, the first two things on your list were very like, creative agency stuff, like getting the right tone, getting like, uh, I wrote creative, you know, getting the creative right, getting like the the way it's it's packaged and presented right, stuff that normally you kind of dismiss as, as not all that important, downstream stuff. Well, if, if you recall on one of our early podcasts, I'm pretty sure we did a podcast on this, the roles you need on your marketing team. Yeah, we did that. Yeah. And one of them was the creative. Yeah. And it's not about making it pretty. It's about making it understandable. And that's well, I why- I pushed back and told you you were wrong. It's actually both because it has to be both. Fair enough. But it is, so, it, it's why I'm such a big fan of data visualization and interactivity. Yeah. So yeah, look at that. Does that mean we've grown over the years of doing our podcast? Or does that mean we just regressed? I don't know. Is it subjective or objective? <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, okay. that's my point of view and I'm sticking to it. I'm sticking with it. No, I, I think that was really good. And, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly a more to a distinct point of view and we've covered this at length and, and, but so we don't need to go there. Well, let's, let's not knock down a couple other others that I saw that I think were interesting. And some of these will dovetail with what you just said. You know, one that I thought was really interesting was getting more focused, which is not interesting, right? I think that's, that's not, I'm, I'm saying this wrong. I mean, but getting more contextualized, which is what I thought was interesting. So one of the folks presenting was a guy by the name of Jeff Pundike from Deloitte. And I thought what was interesting about what they were doing was sort of like doing the opposite of what everyone else was doing. They were just like, well, wait a minute. Like if, 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 there's, if there's so much noise going in the system, maybe we're better off not trying to feed that. We're better off slowing down and using some outside in thinking. And what they started to do was to spend more time with clients in one-on-one -on -one qualitative settings, focus groups, one-on-one -on -one interviews to understand not just what they're struggling with or what they're, but why they're struggling with it and how they're struggling with it. The types of questions you can't get in a survey or you can't get through looking at web data or things like that. Well, to do that, they had to slow down a little bit. They had to, they had to publish less, fewer topics, more focused, more contextualized. So, you know, I don't have a ton of like information on exactly what they're doing or, or on that regard, but I just thought it was a really interesting thing to say, wait a minute, you know, often when everybody's clamoring to do one thing, maybe the best thing to do is to do the opposite. And sometimes the opposite seems counterintuitive with this much going in the system, man, we got to keep up. We got to keep up. We got to keep running. We got to run faster. And maybe, maybe that's a bad idea. And I really liked that idea of what they were doing around trying to get to the why. You know, because it goes to what you'd said earlier, just, you know, really getting to understand what the client's really struggling with and why they're struggling with it and leveraging that more so that what you're producing is more relevant to them because they're going to get something that, you know, really speaks to their challenges at a, at a guttural level in ways you can't do if you don't really spend that kind of time. So that was really interesting to me. I, I really, really thought that was a really smart approach. I like that. And I like the concentration on the client. It's a different type of investment. Mm -hmm. It's saying we're going to spend the time to listen instead of getting scale like most research projects would. We'd say, you know, we'll take a thought leader, have them sit down and, and go deep with somebody. It's, it's almost like leveraging what would be a healthy sales conversation yeah. <laughs> to a large degree. And instead of going, 
macro big audience, it went micro. And to me, it's, I love that idea. I love that, especially if it's with the right client, the right brand, the right situation. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. It's funny, in that opening sequence we did, I shared a bunch of data, and I have a hunch that the people will remember inundated and overwhelmed more than they'll remember any of the data I shared, because yeah. that's a feeling, and people relate to feelings. And, and you think about that, that, that came out of research with five people. <laughs> mm-hmm. It wasn't a big battery of 5,000 people responding to the survey. It was five conversations. I, I really liked that. There was a dovetailed section on that from Dave Ulrich, the founder of RBL Group, kind of a global HR guru. And he talked a lot about culture and as it relates to thought leadership. But what was interesting was he talked all about building culture from the outside in and was all about going to the customer, going to the client and understanding, well, what do they really want? You know, you keep thinking you want thought leadership to be this, this, and that. And, and to cut through the noise, you're going to need to do this and this and that. Well, have you ever asked them, what do they really want? Go talk to them. Go find out. What will be more useful to them? What will be more helpful to them? And then build back from that, which I've kind of felt like was what Deloitte was doing. And I thought that was really smart. And something I don't think happens that much. I think we kind of just rush to the table. Well, we got we to, oh man, this COVID thing is huge. We better get a point of view out there quick on what companies should be doing rushing to the table rather than slowing down and going, well, wait a minute, what should we really be saying and why? And on what time horizon and whatever else. I like that. And it's almost what questions should we be asking? Mm -hmm. Because we rush to the questions without thinking through what answer are we trying to get to? I remember, gosh, I don't know when I heard this, but it it kind of blew my mind in terms of ways to think about the market and product development. And I wish I could give credit to the person who originated. I mean, maybe you you know who it is. So we, Probably we me. Give credit. Yeah. <laughs> the question to ask is, what are your clients not doing now, but they would do if it was possible to do it. It reminds me of like a Steve Jobs type quote, right? They don't know what they don't know. Yeah. But, you know, I don't want another car. I want to be beamed up like Star Trek, right? Yeah. From place to place. That's what I'd yeah. really like to do. Oh, but that's not realistic. But but yeah. that desire of instantaneous travel should be telling you something about the client. It reminds me of our sales and marketing conversation. The question might, that they're asking is, how do I get sales and marketing more aligned? And the answer might be, well, why don't you blow them up and put them in one entity? You know, the way that the smart technologies folks did, right? You know, so sometimes they're asking the wrong question and you have to read between the lines and, and answer the better question. But you can't get that off a survey panel very well. It's hard to see. Yeah, because you see the data. You say, "Well, our, our biggest challenge is sales and marketing alignment." Oh, okay, we better focus on that, right? Whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute, time out. Maybe that's the not the wrong, you know, the wrong challenge. Man, we we are burning through time today. Holy, holy mackerel! So, I have one or two more to share before we run out of time that I thought were really interesting. The one I really want to cover, you know, make sure we don't lose time on, 
is it does dovetail a little bit with what you said about tone and creative in the sense of, and I bundled a whole bunch of stuff together into one kind of lump. And it's first, it's this idea of identifying niches. So recognizing that we can't be all things to all people. And some of that comes back to in a smaller firm about positioning and being really clear on the ideal client. And a bigger firm, though, I thought what was interesting is it's is it's more than that. It's actually looking inside of you know the broad diaspora of of people that that a firm serves, and recognizing that they're not a monolith, and that you can break things down in a million different ways to be relevant to them. And that's something that McKinsey's just been amazing at. I mean, they talked a lot about they've built a whole bunch of different curated newsletters. You know, they've got Mind the Gap, a newsletter for Gen Zs folks, a weekend charts for data wonks, a daily read, and it's tied to the news, intersection for DEI topics. They've got multi-language newsletters, you know, so they've got a one called Destacados for, for Spanish readers. So they've just sort of broken these things down and they've sort of created what I call content products where, and each one, it's not just a newsletter. It's not like a, just a, a masthead and an email blast. There's a structure to it and there's a context to it that they're trying to bring to it. So it's not just dropping another article in your inbox. It's giving you something more and different than you might get somewhere else. And then I also kind of piggyback that with this idea of discipline, which I pulled from Scott Galloway's work, you know, recently and just the, the incredible discipline that he brings to what they're doing to cut through the noise where, you know, in his podcast series, it's like he's got structure. Every Monday is Market Monday. Every Wednesday is Office Hours Wednesday. Every Thursday is a deep conversation. And so he's like kind of telling to the, the, the listener or the reader, you're going to get the same consistency from me every week. And you can use that to kind of make sense of, of what you're going to get and why you're going to get it and how you might use it. And so that kind of, kind of marriage of understanding where the niches are and then building unique, useful content products for them that derive maybe from your thought leadership or derive from other sources. You know, McKinsey's uh, On Point newsletter, I, I get it. I think that's the one. They share what's going on in the news from other sources, and then they tell you what, why they, what they think it means, and they lead you into useful stuff from McKinsey about it. So it's like they're giving you context. To your point, super timely, right? Hey, this happened today. Here's something we wrote about this a while ago. Here's what we think it means, right? That's really interesting. That's one way that firms are definitely cutting through the noise is in a way they're just raising their game, right? They're getting better at that right message, right audience, right time than maybe they were five years ago or five months ago. Who knows, right? You know what I love about your two examples there? You, you give this one example of a hundred year old firm, global, thousands of employees and strong brand preference as its kind of assets, if you will. And then you juxtaposed it with, is it New York University professor? Where's he? Yeah, I think he's a Stern professor. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 One man shop with maybe a little support. Yeah, a little editorial team around him, you know? Right. Yeah. But they're using similar strategies, but in different ways. Yep. And it's important for firms to understand you're not going to out McKinsey McKinsey. You need to build on the assets that you have in order to differentiate your expertise and, and thought leadership and how you package it is going to be different. And I think one of Scott's strongest suits, I mean, he has great insights, but he has an unabashedly in-your-face tone. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, he hits your tone right out of the gate, doesn't he? Yeah. Like, 
you know where he stands, you know, and you know the type of person he is pretty quickly, very yeah. quickly within the first five seconds of an episode. You're exactly right. And, and he combines tone and timeliness and he gets the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. His audience is snapped in to a particular mood and he speaks to it. I'm glad you, you hooked into that because I think that you're, you're right. I mean, you said tone is an element of distinct point of view and he brings that in spades. You know, there's certainly plenty of people that are commenting on what's going on in the tech community and what it means, but I don't know how many will come at it the way he does. And many of them may be thinking and saying the same things he's saying, but the tone he brings to it, you know, and the and I and I would also argue the creative he brings to it. You know, if you read his newsletter, one of the things I've always admired about his newsletter is the data visualization, and not necessarily that it's so compellingly good or better than anybody else's, but because it's so distinct, I can picture it in my head, so I remember it. You know, and I think again, that's part of the job is you're trying to get you know memorability as well. You I mean, want people to remember your point of view. They're not going to do it if you just serve it up in the same, you know, the same platforms and same experiences as everybody else. You've got to find ways to cut through the noise. Yeah. So uh, we're probably coming up on time. There's a couple that aren't going to make it in, but uh, you, you've seen my loose outline that we use to set this up. Or what one's most useful to our listeners? You think that we should talk about? Well, let's finish them both because okay. I think I, I think the getting more multimedia. If you're not there. You need to get there. That means you need to invest the resources because there is, as Jason calls it, lean in and lean back content. And you have to be packaging thought leadership in the medium your prospects and clients want to consume it in. So you need to invest in that technology and you need to stay abreast of its evolution. I think that's critical. Yeah. I mean, I shared a bunch of data in my talk on this, and that would probably become the subject of a separate blog post that we can point to eventually. But I'll point to the maybe the most interesting thing to your point is, you know, we asked, we surveyed, I think, 150-ish decision makers about, about how they consume thought leadership, what they value, what they're looking for in order to make more informed strategic business decisions. And we asked them, what was their preferred content format? And then I grouped those into the types of form content that people rated in one, two, or three. And so if you rated it one, two, or three, then then this data will be relevant. And the top three answers on the board, you know, to use a price, was that price is right? <laughs> no, it's not family feud. <laughs> Survey said webinars was, was first, followed by podcasts and videos, all interactive stuff, stuff that probably lets me lean back a little bit, lets me passively consume a little easier. I don't have to work as hard. Mm-hmm. And that's what clients are saying. They just said it again and again. And when we look at the mirror data on that of what's working for firms, for the most part, that's the stuff that's at the top is the, the interactive stuff is what's working best, particularly when you ask the leaders, the folks that are best at having the most success with thought leadership are the ones that are saying that that as well. So there's no doubt that you've got to be prioritizing multimedia content and experiences in your mix, you know, at the very top of what you're doing, whether that's video, podcast, interactive data visualization, you know, other ways to let people really experience what you're doing, be it mobily or online or whatever. That was very clear that that's a big element. If you're going to cut through the noise, you've got to do it in a way that lets people get at your key insights faster. And the last one I'll share actually was, was I you know, came out of a talk from one of the content leaders at Infosys that I really liked. And what he talked about was just all the, the client collaboration they're doing. 
you know, so the, he had a slide with like 285 collaborations they had done in events, roundtables, articles, podcasts, videos, webinars. So just tons of stuff they were doing, kind of co-producing things with clients. And I thought that was a really smart thing. It comes, it kind of comes full circle to what we talked about earlier. It's just, you know, really understanding what the client wants and needs. What better way to do that than to actually get them to do something with you, right? Where you're pairing and having a dialogue with them, like we often do here, right? We have clients and prospective clients on, and we talk with them and, and a lot of it helps us contextualize what they're struggling with better. And I think that's a really smart thing and a really important thing to do. Because at the end of the day, clients want to hear from their peers, right? You know, more than anything. What I like about this is it combines two voices into one. I find buyers want to hear from the experts. They want to know what your point of view is on an issue. That's why this point of view is in thought leadership is, is so important. But I want to have a discussion with my peer, like you said, mm-hmm. right? So if I have an opportunity you know, to interact with a, another CMO or growth leader and understand deeply what they're doing and having that conversation in a way that, that feels one-on-one and is relatable to me, and, and, and your firm allowed that you know, to happen then there's a halo effect with it. And I get what I want. I get your point of view. I get the buyer's point of view. Get them together. Right. And and I know I'm going to be able to discern the truth somewhere in between those two. So I love that combination. And I think that's why case studies, well done case studies, most case studies are garbage, are so valuable. Yeah. Especially when they're really told, as you said, they're not garbage, meaning that they're told from the client's point of view. And what they were really grappling with and recognizes it, it's about their journey. And I always say this, you've heard me say it a million times, the, you know, the firm, they're the hero. The firm is, is, is the sword that helps them slap, you know, slay the monster. Um, the firm is, helps them on their journey. It doesn't take over the journey. <laughs> you know, the firm doesn't show up and, and replace them and then <laughs> carry the sword forward and <laughs> disappear. It doesn't work that way. Well, let's take this one to wrap. I hope that people walked away with not just some context on how noisy the, 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 you know, the, 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 the content universe is from a marketer's perspective, but, but also some, some, some good tips on how to cut through that noise as you walk into 23, right? Like where this is publishing towards the end of 22. It's that time when you start, when you should be asking your questions, do we want to keep doing the things we're doing? Do we want to do something different. Do we want to do it a different way. You know, let's let's reset things. So this is a great window to do that and gives you a chance to, to step back and, and have those conversations on how you're going to cut through the noise in 2023. Because I'm going to promise you, if I re-up this data in 23, it's not going to look better. It's not like suddenly, you know, there's going to be less webinars. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's going to be equally as noisy. All right. I'll talk to you next week. I believe we've got a guest joining us next week. Another great one. You want to you leak? You're going to leak who's coming or no? Nope. Okay. Nope. All right. I'll see you next week, buddy. All right. Thanks. See ya. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher. Boom.